Good morning, ARPC at Bishan. Oh, should I say good afternoon? Good afternoon. Yes, as uh, Pastor Kenneth has just mentioned, we are going through a series of uh, topical sermons on mental health. And we began uh, last Saturday uh, addressing depression. And uh, if you are not able to uh, listen to it, do not be downcast. But you can listen to the podcast. Uh, It rhymes, right? (laughs) Today we'll be looking at anxiety. And if you have uh, your sermon uh, handout, uh, it's, it's blank. It's for you to uh, uh, fill it up with notes. And the sermon title, if you notice, is When Prayer Does Not Take Away Anxiety. Now, we all like to believe that prayer fixes all our troubles. We like to believe that prayer is the panacea to all life's pains. But we've already learned from the Lament Psalms, that, uh, which we studied a, a few weeks ago, that no, prayer does not snatch us away from troubles all the time. So we learned that the psalmist, he does not get scooped out of captivity. We learned that the psalmist, he is the sheep who is taken to slaughter, that the rich and powerful uh, taunt him and oppress him. The psalmist cannot sleep, he cannot speak, he cannot be comforted. And that the lament psalms, the prayers of lament, they tell us, no, prayer does not always remove our pressing troubles. And so it means that, yes, we may pray, but still our troubles remain. Our fears may still linger. Still, the anxiety that we may have still hangs around. So what do we do when prayer does not wipe out anxiety? So I will summarize uh, this sermon with just four points. What do we do when prayer does not wipe out anxiety? First point, and slide comes up. We must know what God says. Know what God says in His Word. So the psalmist says in Psalm 56, next slide, When I am afraid, I will trust in you. In God whose word I praise, In God I trust, I will not be afraid. So this was written by King David. King David, when he wrote this psalm, the context was that he was running away from Saul, who wanted his life, and he ran away and sought refuge uh, from King Achish. But then being with the Philistines, uh, of course, he found himself in a very precarious situation because the Philistines were supposed to be his enemies. So he was afraid. But he declared in prayer, When I am afraid, I will trust in you. It's a very instructional psalm for us. Why? Because it tells us that it it doesn't, sorry, it does not tell us that you and I should trust in God if we are afraid, but it tells us that you and I should trust in God when we are afraid. See the difference between those two words? It doesn't say if you are afraid, but it says when we are afraid. Because we do become fearful. And when we do, there is a being that we can run to. And David says, it's in God. In the God he trusts, in the God whose word he praises. So because we do get fearful, the most frequent command in the Bible, interestingly, is the command, do not be afraid or do not fear. And so scholars tell us that it occurs about more than 300 times. So a slide comes up, for instance, God tells Abraham, 
do not be afraid because I am your shield. I'm your great reward. To Jacob, he says, do not be afraid to go down to Egypt because I'm going to make you into a great nation there. And then to Moses, God says, do not be afraid of the king of Bashan because he is going to hand over the king and his army to Moses. Then when you go to the New Testament, Jesus tells his disciples, do not be afraid of those who? Of those who persecute you, of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. And then when Jesus walked on water to reach the disciples, they were afraid because they, they thought that they saw a ghost. But Jesus assured them, telling them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. So these are just samples of don't be afraid uh, uh, verses, or, or yeah, Bible verses that you find in Scripture. But the list goes on. Why? Because we do get afraid. We do get jittery. We get fearful. And the frequency of God's commands not to be afraid is aimed to assuage our fears. It's aimed to assuage our worries, our anxieties. Yet, I must tell you that the beauty in God's command is that the God's command is not a telling you off. It's not scolding you. It's not a berating. It's not giving you a mouthful. No, His command not to be anxious, not to be fearful, is on the contrary, it's a calming assurance. It's designed to calm you and to assure you. It's designed to allay your fears. And so God's word tells us that fear is part and parcel of life. He does not tell us if you are afraid. No, he assumes that we do get afraid. But when you and I are afraid, when you and I worry, do not be afraid. God tells us so many times. So what else does God's word tell us when we are anxious? Next slide. We find that the Apostle Paul writes this in Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 to 7. He says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So what does Paul say? Paul says, still pray to God, still plead before God in thanksgiving, but, but better know this, know that God may not remove the trouble, instead, He gives you peace. So pray to God when you're anxious, but know for certain that He may not remove the trouble, but what He will do is that He will give you peace. So the word peace in Philippians chapter 4, 6 to 7 is the word is a Greek word, Irene, uh, from where you get the name Irene. So if you know somebody whose name is Irene, it comes from the word Irene. So Irene is used to describe a state of national tranquility. So if nations are not at war, they are at peace, Irene. It's also used to describe the harmony between individuals. But Irene in Philippians chapter 4, is a concept that is very much unique to the believer, to God's child. It is the tranquil state of a soul that is assured of its salvation through Christ. And because he is so assured of his salvation in Christ, there is nothing to be afraid of. Because he is so assured of salvation in Christ, he is content with whatever lot he is given by God. That is 
Erene. That is the peace of God. In other words, it is the peace knowing that because Christ has saved you from sin, Christ has saved you from death, He will keep you. And you can rest in Him no matter what situation you are in. Paul says it is this peace of God which shields, guards your hearts and your minds in Jesus so that you will not offer your heart, so that you will not offer your minds to do that which displeases God. In which case, anxiety tends to lead us to do. So what do people do when they get into anxiety? If you and I are not careful, when we are anxious, sometimes we vent off. We get angry. Sometimes we run away from responsibilities. Yet, worse, anxiety can lead our hearts and our minds to stray away from trusting in God. Why? Because anxiety can taunt our hearts and our minds, telling us, you know, if God is so good, why are you experiencing all this? But when you run to God in prayer with thanksgiving, His peace guards your hearts and your minds so that you persevere in your faith and continue to walk in obedience unto the Lord. You can continue trusting in His good plan and purposes for you. You know what the, this peace that transcends all understanding uh, reminds me of? It reminds me also of the Holy Spirit. So when Paul wrote Romans, the book of Romans, he says that when you and I undergo suffering, the Holy Spirit intercedes on our behalf. The Holy Spirit intercedes on our behalf with groans that words cannot express. Words cannot express, a.k.a. also known as transcending all understanding. So the Spirit prays for us in our weakness and in the midst of our suffering, and rest assured, the Spirit will always intercede for us according to God's will. So prayer may not always remove anxiety, but prayer puts us back in line with God. Because we express our dependence upon Him, we lay our requests before Him, He calls us to thanksgiving, and all these shield our vulnerable, anxious hearts and minds from wandering off from God. And so Paul says, pray with thanksgiving, make your request known, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, is going to guard your hearts and your minds so that you may continue to depend upon God and to do His will. So what do you do when, when prayer does not remove anxiety? Continue to still pray and depend upon God. What else does, God, does God's word tell us? Well, next slide, in Matthew chapter 10, Jesus informs of his disciples of the trouble that awaits them as he sends them to proclaim his message. So you can just imagine the anxiety that Jesus caused upon the disciples. He tells them of the trouble that they need to watch out. So the Lord told them, Matthew 10, 16 to 20, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. And so be wise as serpents and innocent as dogs. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues, and you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake, 
to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. And when they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. So what do we get from this passage here in Matthew 10, 16 and following? Well, Jesus does not promise you and I a trouble-free life. Uh-uh. He doesn't do that. In fact, he tells his followers that as gospel bearers, we are sheep amongst wolves. And that means we should not be surprised by persecution because Jesus even says that you and I will be hated for his name's sake. But when push comes to show, be assured that God will provide for our needs. So he tells the disciples that words will be given to you so that you will know how to defend yourself, what to say, and that in the end, the one who endures will be saved. So brothers, sisters, Jesus does not promise a trouble-free life, but he promises that our needs will be met, and he promises salvation in the end. So what this tells us about anxiety is that instead of anxiously anticipating chaos, we must anticipate God's presence, God's provision. Next slide, he continues in the uh, same chapter, verses 28 to 31. He says, Do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. So what do we get from this passage? You and I cost more than a penny. You and I are more valuable than sparrows. What we get from this passage is that we are called to rest in the one whose power is matchless. So those who persecute us because of our faith, they can only kill the body. But God is far more powerful in that He can kill both body and soul. And the exhortation is to fear Him instead. Because the God you fear cares a lot about you. More than the sparrows in the air. And so when prayer does not take away anxiety, know what God's word says. And what does God's word tell us? This is not a trouble-free life. This is a life that can be frightening. And yet God calms us again and again, telling us, do not be afraid. Why? Because his power is matchless. Because he will provide for our needs because He cares for us, because we are secure in Him, and His peace will guard our hearts and our minds. So when prayer does not take away or remove anxiety, know what God says. Know what God's Word says. Second point, when prayer does not take away anxiety, know what God's Word says, but also, next point, is to think God thoughts. Think God thoughts. 
You know, whenever I was anxious before I became a believer, before I gave my life to the Lord Jesus Christ, whenever I was anxious, this is what I will do. I would do a superstitious exercise. Say if I'm anxious about a driving trip, I would do this thought exercise. I would imagine my worst fear happening. Say I drive and the car tire burst as I was maneuvering into a dark alley. And the bystanders who look suspicious would come and offer help. That is, they offer help to look at, look at my car, watch my car while I go find help. And then I'll think, I'll decline their help. And they would mock me for declining their help. And then they would surround me. You know, this imagination that I would do is a thought exercise that I would do with my mind. And I would replay my fears in my mind. Sometimes, as I replay it, I will add sequel to it. And by the time I've replayed it a few times, I would have already arrived at my destination, safe and sound. And I get into this superstitious exercise thinking that if I imagine my fears down to the detail, they will not happen. That's why insurance companies make a lot of money. Because you and I worry about the things that may not happen. And sometimes if I do not worry, I get worried that I did not worry. Have you ever experienced that? You worry why you do not worry. So in my situation, it was a damn if I'm anxious and damn if I'm not anxious. I was captive to anxious thoughts. But here, God prescribes a solution. Paul tells us, next slide, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. You see, my superstitious exercise, it's devoid of God. It's devoid of His truth, of whatever is praiseworthy, whatever is lovely about Him. Now, let me ask you, are your thoughts like that as well? Devoid of God, devoid of His truth, devoid of anything that is praiseworthy. You, you and I must do the Philippians 4, 8 exercise. That whenever we are anxious, instead of letting our minds spiral down into deeper anxiety, we must steer it, steer it to think God thoughts. Whatever is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, excellent, and praiseworthy. And so leave little room for anxiety to occupy. That is what it means to think God thoughts. Now, thinking of God thoughts also means this. Next slide. Matthew 6, 31 to 33. Jesus tells his disciples who are very anxious. He says, Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So you look at this passage and you ask, What's the difference between pagans, aka Gentiles, and us God's children. Well, according to this verse, the pagans do not have a heavenly father. Did you see that? 
They do not have a heavenly father. No wonder they worry about food, drink, and clothing. No wonder they run after food, drink, and clothing. We, on the other hand, have a heavenly father who knows that we need food, drink, and clothing. So Jesus is saying, let them who do not have a heavenly father worry and seek those things. But we who have our heavenly father must instead seek the kingdom of God. So did you notice that the words be anxious and seek are somehow interchangeable because they almost mean the same thing? In other words, there is such a thing called godly anxiety. And what is that godly anxiety? It is when we seek the kingdom of God. When we seek to know how to obey the Lord. When we seek to find out how to honor Him. How to submit to His rule in our lives. How to be holy. So Jesus is telling us, be anxious about the kingdom of God instead of your own kingdom. And when you do that, that is to think God thoughts. So tell me, what is your mind preoccupied with? I just came from my sabbatical um, a few months back. And um, during my sabbatical, I had plenty of time to think. And I realized that if I don't watch it, if I don't put boundaries in my mind, my thoughts may hover to ungodliness. Sometimes I will think, will people miss me? No, don't raise your hand. And sometimes I would think, will they think about me? And if they do think about me, what would they think about me? And if I don't put a stop to such thoughts, I soon fall into the trap of the fear of man. And it's a very deadly trap when I should instead be fearing God. So put a boundary in your mind so that you will not hover into ungodly thoughts, but rather think God thoughts. It helps with anxiety. And I shall speak more about this when we talk about addiction next week, God willing. And so what happens when prayer does not remove anxiety? You and I must think the God thoughts. Third point. When prayer does not remove anxiety, you and I must seek Help from God's people. Friends, at times, anxiety veers off outside the normal range. So the medical world describes anxiety as an elaborate alarm system that activates a certain workout. What is this workout? It activates a biological, an emotional, a mental, and physical workout. Let me explain. Biological, you know what happens when you worry, when you're anxious, Adrenaline speeds up the heart rate, I was told. And then your digestion, it slows down. And then uh, your breathing gets cranked up. You suddenly have fast and shallow breathing and your pupils get dilated. Why? So that you can focus on what you're looking at. Emotional, what happens is that you get nervous, you feel dread, you get edgy, you become even irritable. Mentally, you know what happens? Deep reflective thinking is cancelled. So you're doing some reflection, but suddenly it's canceled because now 
while you are worried, your mind is focused on the perceived danger. And last workout, physical. You act on what you're worried about or you run away from it. So they call it the fight or flight response. So biological, emotional, mental, and physical workout, they happen when common anxiety occurs. But you see, sometimes this alarm system malfunctions. That means that the alarm activates when it's not supposed to. That means it goes out of control. Persistently, one is overestimating a threat or danger and underestimating his or her coping ability beyond his or her control. And when one worries are entirely out of proportion to the perceived threat, or if one worries somehow impede his or her normal daily life, this is usually diagnosed as an anxiety disorder. And what triggers anxiety disorder? Well, well, we are told that it can be life events. Example, new school, uh, new job, marriage, newly married. Uh, it can be triggered by daily hassles. Example, household chores. I don't kid you. Household chores can trigger anxiety. Or it can be triggered by chronic stress. So every day you go to the workplace and you have a difficult boss for the past three years. That can lead to chronic stress and it can trigger anxiety disorder. However, at times though, there is no known trigger or reason. And when such anxiety happens out of the blue, which can make one think that he is having a cardiac episode because the symptoms are very similar, uh, difficulty in breathing, sweating, chilling, with, uh, in addition to that fear and, and confusion, when such anxiety attack occurs, this is called a panic attack. Have you ever experienced that? Panic attack. And if this attack happens too frequently, it is termed as a panic disorder, where the alarm system malfunctions when it is not supposed to. As a result, it affects normal daily life. Now, sometimes when one has such an anxiety, you know what? Prayer does not take it away. It doesn't. What must one do? What must you and I do? Should it occur to us? Well, it is, third point, to seek help from God's people. You know, Paul describes the church according to God's design. Next slide. He says, but God has composed the body, so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. So if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. So Paul is telling us as members of the body that we should never suffer alone as a member of the body. Why? Because God's design for the church is that we are members that rejoice with one another and also suffer with one another. That is why one of the purposes of these topical series on mental illness is to remove the stigma on depression, on anxiety, and addiction so that we will be more open 
about to share about such struggles so that we will in a way be equipped to support those who are suffering and to offer to help them as God's children. Now, I'm not kidding you. Some people do suffer anxiety that is triggered, triggered by daily hassles, like household chores, which can be triggered by a life event, a new baby, for instance. So I remember uh, uh, there was one mother who called the church office one day, and she called the church office to ask for help. What kind of help? She was having a migraine, and she needed to take care of the two-month-old baby. And so when we received the call, two of us left the church office to go to, his, to her place to help her babysit. That's why some people think that the people in church office have nothing to do on a weekday, right? <laughs> so we go and help babysit so that this young mother can catch an hour's nap. And that is a practical way by which God's people can support by just doing a mundane task, such as carrying the baby. Because we are members of the body who care for one another. Sometimes we help alleviate anxiety simply by helping the sufferer do certain tasks that she is or he is too crippled to do. Because we are members of the body, and when prayer does not remove anxiety, we seek help from the members of the body. And then when we seek help from members of the body, from God's people, we may be led to medical options. Medical options that may help us. See, God has blessed us uh, with medical people in ARPC. So the joke is that in ARPC, we have so many doctors, if you throw a stone, you are bound to hit one. We've been blessed with many medical people here in church and some of whom comprise our medical or other mental health ministry. It's formed to extend help, formed to advise and guide those who may need help. And one of the beneficiaries of this ministry is actually our daughter, our daughter, Ashley. Let me tell you something about her. Early this year, our girl became very irritable. She was anxious, fearful, indecisive, fidgety, hands shaking at times, her stomach churned. And every night she would spend more than an hour each night packing her school bag. And when she complained in the morning how tired and sleepy she was, I would blame her for staying up late packing her bag. She was irritable and she'd get irked by issues and not be able to let them go. She would press all our buttons, my buttons, my wife's buttons, Dan's buttons. The only saving grace was that after she's calmed down, she will come and apologize. Now, I've always thought it was part of growing up as a teen and a female teen at that. You're supposed to laugh. Little did we realize later on that her anxiety was more than just anxiety. And the following is Ashley's written testimony. She allowed me to share this. And she writes, 
The year 2019 began for me as a flurry of questions, worries, doubts, and unexplained sadness. I started junior college like all my peers, but somehow lagged behind class. Canteen chatter was overwhelming. While everyone socialized, I spent my time staring at my phone, trying to block out the noise. I felt like a zombie in a train station. There was once we had a sports event, and as everyone cheered and stamped their feet, I felt so overwhelmed, I had to run outside to cry. As months passed and it got harder and harder to do schoolwork, I felt stressed, confused, and hopeless. Music helped. Spending time with friends helped. Video games helped. And she wrote, hint, hint, parents. But most importantly, God helped. Jesus said, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. I thought maybe I brought this down upon myself and it was my fault I wasn't better. But as time passed, I realized it was not a question of will. I had always wanted with all my heart to be at peace. I saw a psych psychiatrist in June and got diagnosed with generalized anxiety disorder. And that night, I slept soundly for the first time in months. And following weeks of therapy, I gradually got better. If someone you know is experiencing anxiety, please show them all the love you can. Keep assuring them about their worth and their future. They're valuable to God, and their future is in God's good hands. It's hard to love someone who is suffering anxiety because I was irritable. I often fought with my parents. And I caused them a lot of unexplained distress. And their love for me only made them more worried, made them feeling frustrated as to why I was being so difficult. But as my father said, that's me, tomorrow it will be better because each day is a day nearer to the hope of the glory in Jesus. If you are going through a difficult time, whatever you do, please don't give up. Press on and persevere because God gives us sufficient grace each day. And always, always look to God. While He may not give you all the answers, just the understanding in your heart that He is in sovereign control should be enough to let you appreciate every breath you take, no matter how hard it gets. Today, by God's grace, I no longer have trouble in my schoolwork. I enjoy chatting with my friends in the canteen and, and thanks to uh, treatment and the help of my family and friends and my basic leaders. Basic leaders, very important. And thanks to God, I'm better than yesterday. And I'm thankful to be given life and consciousness to praise and glorify Him. Signed, Ashley. See, when prayer does not remove anxiety, you and I should seek help from God's people. For we are members of one body. Last point. When anxiety doesn't go away despite prayers, 
Grow in His grace. Grow in His grace. Anxiety sometimes does not leave us, but we can rest assured that God's grace is sufficient for us. So the Apostle Paul spoke of this grace that was given him. You know, probably know this. He pleaded the Lord to take away a thorn in his flesh. Now, we do not know exactly what that thorn is. Some people say it's a, it's a chronic eye infection. Others would say, no, maybe it's a speech impediment. Uh, some people say, no, it's people who persecuted him. Well, my Filipino pastor suggested that it's, it's his mother-in-law. <laughs> but in line with our topic, you know what? It could be post-trauma disorder because of all the persecutions and all the beatings that he's been through. But no one exactly knows for sure what the thorn is. What we do know is that Paul pleaded the Lord three times to take it away. And the Lord has good news and bad news to his plea. Bad news, the thorn is to stay. Good news, the Lord says, next slide, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. So sometimes the Lord does not remove our troubles. He doesn't take away our sufferings. But we can take comfort that He promised sufficient grace to cope with it. Yes, we may be weakened by our troubles, but Christ's power is displayed through you know, as I continue to think upon stress and anxiety, come to think of it, stress and anxiety are God's gift, if I may use the word. They are God's gift for us in the fallen world. Why do I say that? Because if you look at Genesis chapter 2, notice that stress and pain and anxiety, they were absent during the pre-fall, that is, before Adam and Eve sinned against God. Adam did not suffer zoophobia. Did you notice? He was not scared of the animals. Why? Because he was the designated ruler over the animals. This means that the lion was not the king of the jungle. Adam, he was king of the jungle. You look at Genesis 2 and you find that there was no evidence that Adam and Eve experienced stress even when the serpent was feeding lies to Eve. They could have been anxious. Alarm bells could have been stopped going off, saying, eh, danger, 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 but there was none of that. Why? Because they lived in a serene garden with the mandate just to obey God and manage creation. Sadly, it was only after they chose to disobey God that fear, anxiety, and pain and stress entered their lives and entered our fallen world. So if you recall the story immediately after they ate the fruit of which God commanded them not to eat, stress was introduced. Adam and Eve stressed over their nakedness. That's why they were quick to want to cover their nakedness. And then when God walked in the garden, they 
hid themselves in fear. So stress, fear, and anxiety was never part of the perfect world. But now they are here to stay. But with God's sufficient grace, they are here to help us cope with the fallen world. While we await Jesus' return and the new heaven and the new earth that he brings with him. So how do fear and anxiety and stress help us cope with the fallen world? Well, they warn us of danger, don't they? You are fearful of snakes, for instance. Why? Because they may be venomous. And so your fear leads you to run away from snakes or to face it and attack it. Anxiety helps you to cope in this fallen world. So every time you cross the street, you cross the road safely because of anxiety. Because you watch out for coming cars or you stare at drivers who are texting while they're driving. Now, evolutionists would say that our prehistoric ancestors who sprinted for the cave when they spotted a tiger survived in order to pass down anxiety genes. So, clever way of describing it. And then they would say those who did not survive are the cavemen who called out, hey, check it out, there's a neat tiger. They didn't survive. But then fear and anxiety are God's gift to help us cope with the fallen world so that you try to reach the workplace on time because you're a bit anxious so that you stop gaming, students, and start studying when exam is looming. So that you pay your bills before the deadline. So that, get this, you flee from temptation. Because there's an alarm bell that makes you anxious that something is not right. So that you stay away from bad company. Fear and anxiety is an act of God's grace in this fallen world. And so we have to thank Him for giving us these to cope in this fallen world while we wait for the coming of Jesus. How else do we grow in God's grace in the midst of fear and anxiety? Well, fear and anxiety exposes the idols of our hearts. Fear and anxiety reveals the loves of our heart. They reveal the things that we cherish. They reveal the things that we value apart from a wholehearted devotion to God. Example, if you fear death, it shows that you cherish life. If you fear poverty, it shows that it, you cherish wealth. <clears throat> Excuse me. If you fear of how you die, that means you cherish comfort. If you fear loneliness, you cherish security. If you fear rejection, you cherish approval. And if you fear embarrassment, you cherish reputation. Fear and anxiety can be used to gauge our spiritual allegiances. As we grow in God's grace, to abandon lovers that compete for our exclusive love. 
for God. So friends, anxiety will be here to stay until the Lord returns. But take heart. We can grow in God's grace because His grace is sufficient each day because we have members of the body who are called to care for one another because we can resolve to think the God thoughts and take captive our minds to obey Christ and honor Him. Because we have the peace of God that surpasses all understanding, which guards our hearts and our minds so that we may live for God. Because we can choose not to tire looking to God to hope in Him even when anxiety remains while we all await that glorious day when stress, fear, and anxiety are no more at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Father, empower us to always run to you in the midst of the sufferings that we face in this world, sufferings such as anxiety. Cause us to delight in the hope that is found in the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And how while we await his coming and restoration of this world, help us to live each day knowing that there is sufficient grace awaiting for us so that you may be honored in everything that we do to the glory of your name. In Jesus' name we pray.